bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. This is the August 2nd, 2022 podcast. Over the past several years, there has been a steady increase in the demand by real estate developers for tax-exempt productivity bonds. These bonds can be paired with 4% localizing tax credits to fund affordable rental housing. Now, back in 2016, the amount of productivity bonds allocated nationally for affordable rental housing increased dramatically from $6.6 billion annually to nearly $15 billion. And since then, the amount has steadily risen every year, reaching more than $17 billion in 2020. That's the last year, by the way, for which we have data. The 2020 bond allocation for affordable multifamily housing was a record and continued a trend of multifamily affordable housing being the prime focus of productivity bond issuance by states. In 2020, just more than 62% of all taxes and productivity bond allocation was for that purpose. This increasing demand has led to an increasing number of states in which there's now competition for an allocation of bond funding. In practical terms, that means that in many states where developers historically were able to receive a bond allocation for rural housing with relative ease, that they must now compete for a limited amount of bond cap. Novogratik and Tiber Hudson are tracking that tax exempt volume cap scarcity. And in a map that we published at the end of February, we showed that about 20 states were oversubscribed for volume cap and other six were at parity, meaning those six could tip into being oversubscribed. It may actually be oversubscribed since this is back in February. It is an increasingly competitive world for bonds, but on today's podcast, we're going to discuss a question that we're being asked more and more. What is the effect of inflation and higher interest rates on bond financed housing? Now, listeners are well aware that inflation is at its highest rate in more than a generation. And related to that, interest rates have seen significant increases in the past year. For developers of affordable housing, both of these related factors are very important. Now, my guest today is my partner, Christina Apostolidis from Novogratik's office in Naples, Florida. Christina is an expert on the use of productivity bonds to help fund affordable rental housing. In fact, she was the lead editor of the 2022 edition of her tax exempt bond handbook, which was released in July. Now, if you've attended any of Novogratz's affordable housing conferences, you've probably met Christina already. She is the chair of our annual January conference, which will be held in Fort Lauderdale, Florida next year, 2023. Christina works in a variety of areas, but most notable for today's podcast, she deals extensively with stakeholders in low-income housing tax credit properties using both 9% and 4% low-income housing tax credits. In today's podcast, we'll address how inflation and higher interest rates affect bond finance housing. Then we'll discuss what developers have already received a bond allocation should consider. And we'll discuss what developers who are considering applying for bond allocation should focus on. Christina and I will also review some fundamentals of 4% low-income housing tax credit funding, which as we noted, is a challenge during inflationary times. 
Now, in closing, Christina will share some highlights from the Novogratz text in the Fund Handbook. There's a lot to talk about, and this is a very important issue in affordable housing. So if you're ready, let's get started. Christina, welcome back to Tashtra Tuesday. Thank you, Mike. Happy to be here. And let me note to our listeners, Christina is dialing in from overseas. So if there's a little bit of sound quality, it isn't as good as it normally is for Tashtra Tuesday. We hope you'll give us a pass on that. And Christina, I do appreciate you dialing in from overseas. Not a problem. Just happy to share some information. Currently working on some bond projects with several clients putting in bond applications. So happy to share some information with our listeners. Great. So in my opening, I shared some data about the increasing use of private liberty bonds to finance affordable rental housing for the last few years. But today, high inflation and rising interest rates are making it ever more challenging for developers to make and keep developments financially feasible. So Christina, maybe we could start with you sharing with our listeners some of the ways in which high inflation and rising interest rates are affecting the ability to finance affordable housing with private activity bonds. Yes, Mike. Yeah, so start off, like we said, high inflation and rising interest rates. So when we're talking about high inflation, the biggest factor in that is the rising prices to build housing. So in other words, the price and the availability of construction material. So we know that during the pandemic, we had a lot of supply issues, production issues as well, and that drove up a lot of the prices in obtaining construction materials and the related prices. But we're still seeing those price increases now here in 2022. So just an interesting fact to note was that the price of inputs of new residential construction was up 20% year over year in February of 2022. And like you said, we knew the prices were going up. We didn't know how much and how if they would continually steadily increase in a lot of the construction material. And although some construction prices have started to level off, things like lumber and some other construction materials, other construction materials have consistently spiked and increased even in this year in 2022. So like I said, even though some are leveling off, some are, we're still seeing some spikes in other construction materials. So that's a big factor. The other factor that we're seeing in driving the price of construction is labor shortages. Um, so a lot rental housing, there's generally an overall shortage, especially in the market rate rental housing. So trying to get labor to, to keep up with the demand for rental housing, whether it's market rate or affordable, is been a big challenge in the last few years and which has just compounded over the last couple of years as a result of the pandemic. So one thing that our construction builders are seeing is that total growth in compensation for construction employees jumped from 1.6 in January of 2021 to 4.3 in January of 2022. So just increase in construction salaries to, to maintain and attract those employees to, to keep up with the demand. So I've definitely seen this firsthand in the projects that I've been working on over the last couple of years, just the increase in our construction 
budgets and construction uses for the projects that we've been working on. And then another, the result of all these increase in prices and the effect that it has on the 4% bond projects is that it adds to the challenge that our developers already have. So 4% projects are going to generate less equity than a 9% project, right? So the tax credits, which results in the equity that is available to a project is based on a 4% tax credit rate. So as our financing source is already scarce for 4% project, the project has to meet that gap to, to complete its project. As construction prices continue to rise and increase the development budget, it's making that gap even larger. So the problem that already existed with 4% projects is just being increased as a result of inflation and its effect on construction costs. So we're hoping there's a lot going on in the industry. Like I know that you're in tune to a lot and just what's going on with Congress and hopefully finding some solutions already to meet the challenges and the demand for affordable housing supply. I know recently the Biden administration announced its housing supply action plan, which would be yeah. great if we could, if a lot of this can get done. So I think the industry as a whole and, and all the stakeholders are obviously keeping this on the top of their mind to support a couple of things that are in there, which would definitely help with the problems in the getting a 4% project done is reducing the 50% test, which we'll talk about a little bit more later, but reducing it from a 50% test to a 25% test and also adding a basis boost to taxes and fund finance projects. So those all things would be great to add more equity to the projects. And then the other thing that you touched in your intro, Mike, was about rising interest rates and how those are affecting the in industry. Uh, so as we noted before, 4% projects generate less equity and therefore they rely on a significant portion of its sources to be debt and other financing sources, but generally 4% projects are going to have some sort of higher amount of permanent debt than would a 9% project. So when interest rates are rising, the cost of maintaining that debt is going to be a lot higher. And the project's NOI or its net operating income may have a harder time supporting that additional cost caused by the higher interest rates. So although rents on market rate rental units, and we all know, <laughs> we hear it in the news, rents in all major cities and even suburbs, rents have gone up over the last two years, driven by the pandemic and supply and demand. Rents for LIHTC units are usually going to see a lag and increase due to how the LIHTC rents are calculated. So these two issues, the combination of the rise in construction costs and the higher interest rates, it's a double hit to our developers right now trying to get their 4% deals to pencil out. So thank you for that overview. That was an excellent overview. And you got a lot of stark statistics <laughs> in that overview, not the least of which was 20% higher year-over-year -year cost of residential construction from February 21 to February 2022, 20% 20 increase 
that's quite the statistic. So when I think about the effects of high inflation, rising interest rates on affordable housing development using productivity bonds, I tend to think of two broadly defined situations that take a little bit of a different approach when we're working with clients. Uh, one situation is those developers already have their bond allocation and they're at some level of starting construction or in construction or at some point. The other situation is developers who have applied for or are considering applying for allocation, but have not yet received an award. So we have sort of those with allocation, those that are planning, but don't have an allocation yet. So let's start with that first situation. Uh, the developer who's been allocated bonds and is perhaps already starting construction. If you could maybe unpack a little bit more specifically uh, the ways in which high inflation, rising interest rates are affecting that situation. Yes. So yeah, definitely is affecting it in you know, number, a number of ways. One of the first ways that we want to keep in mind is that this idea of the gap, right? So a 4% project only has a certain number of limited equity as compared to a 9% project. So the project uses increase, which as we talked about construction costs going up, that's going to cause that project a significant challenge there. They're going to have to be able to find sources to make up for that initial increase. So fortunately, um, a project that's already received a, a bond allocation, maybe like, maybe these are the projects from a year or a year ago, or maybe a little bit longer as when construction prices started going up. They might've had the benefit of having maybe already locked in with a general contractor, their construction contract, but these are things that people in the industry need to think about the general contractors to deal with their subs. So, but you know, not all costs are generally covered through your construction contract. There are provisions for change orders, or one thing I think we saw this year was materials not being available. And so that those kind of things, timing also, or delivery of materials, a certain time added certain costs. Maybe they had to change certain plans of the construction budget, just trying to get deals done, get projects done within the time frame. So there were certain costs that generally weren't captured just maybe by a total project cost contract. So they'll definitely think that our developers need to be watching again, finding those sources, right? What if the construction goes go right. up, you're, you only have a limited amount of sources, especially in the beginning year, these taxes and projects apply for bonds. So again, there's a limited amount of bonds allocated to the projects as well. So all things that are important. Another issue or the second issue that we want to keep in mind that is affected by these items. So if your construction costs go up, you might have a problem meeting your 50% test. So I, I know that our listeners are probably very in tune to a lot of these terms, but I think this is a good time to just explain maybe what the 50% test is and you'll, you'll be more aware of why it becomes an issue. So for projects that received the tax exempt bonds issued to that project, they can be eligible for the 4% tax credits. 
but in order to one of the I guess, parameters to, to be eligible to meet the tax credits is that they have to pass what we call the 50% test. And what that, what the 50% test is that the project project's aggregate basis has to be at least 50% financed by the tax exempt bonds that are issued. So what does that mean? Our tax exempt bonds issued is our numerator and our aggregate basis of our project is the denominator. So as construction costs go up, if you initially were meeting this comparison of tax exempt bonds to aggregate basis, and if you're meeting that about 50% or 51 or 52%, as your construction costs go up, which will drive your aggregate basis to go, go up, you might be hitting below that 50% mark, which is usually disastrous to the project. It doesn't mean that the project loses all of its tax credit. It just means that if you met that 50% test at 49%, then all your tax credits are going to be allocated to you at that percentage. So if you got 10 million of credits, you're only going to get 49% of the 10 million of credits. So, so as you can see, that becomes a big issue. So like we said, if your costs go up, your aggregate basis goes up, your 50% um, test might be not met at 50% and you can fail that test. So essentially failing the 50% test breaks the deal because you're not going to be receive as much equity as you anticipated. Maybe and then about inflation yeah. and the impact that has on operating yeah. expenses. Yeah. So the other issue that we've been discussing is rising costs and rising, but also when we're thinking of rising costs, we're not the other problem that might affect any project, but particularly we're talking about 4% projects is that rising inflation is also, it's not going to just rise your construction costs. It's also going to rise the project's operating expenses as well, right? We're all seeing rise in utility, rising utility costs, just labor in general, maintenance costs, any other operating expenses that our rental properties have. We're seeing rise, rises in all operating expense costs. And I think we've, we our Novogratic report of operating expenses definitely is showing that. So if you want to be more in tune, definitely check that out. But what does that mean? We talked about before that the projects, 4% projects usually are carrying a higher amount of debt due to the nature of how the tax credit is calculated. And so if the project's operating costs go up, it might make it harder for these projects to meet its debt service. So that's also definitely a big issue that projects that have already received a bond allocation or maybe are in the process of completing or have completed their project in place and service, things that developers and property owners should keep in mind. So then, layered into that is the higher interest rates. Is if your net operating committee won't be what you're originally protecting it to be, but also there's potential higher interest rates. Maybe talk about that. Yeah. So the other thing is where we've been talking about is higher interest rates, right? And we talked about, again, these projects have higher debt. If the rising interest rates might also affect the project's interest incurred during construction. So that's, that also adds to your 50% test basis. 
that we talked about. So that's one thing to watch out for. We always advise our clients to, to watch their costs and any changes, anything that was different than projected. It's really, particularly when dealing with a 4% project, because these additional tests that have to be met are really important, but also rising interest rates on your perm debt. Again, that can affect your a project's ability to meet its debt service requirements. So just definitely monitoring the any changes is extremely important in the economic situation that we currently are now with rising costs and rising interest rates. And also we can touch on one thing that we've seen this year too and affected a few of the projects I was working on was we're still seeing construction supplies uh, on delays, delivery and labor shortages, which can affect the project's construction timeline. So if you thought that your project was going to finish, a lot of our projects thought they would finish in September of 2021, might have slipped into the early part of 2022, just they couldn't get in windows was an issue or other items. So if your project is delayed, your construction interest is delayed or is, is increased, right? So it's taking right. longer to get your project done. Other, other construction monitoring and other type of general requirement type costs related to building the projects are also increasing. So definitely another thing to keep in mind. So, and when any of these issues come up any developers, they do a great job of watching the projects, but you know, these projects definitely need a little bit more attention and bringing up these issues early to the development teams, investors, wherever else is on the team with them to hopefully help address the issues as they arise. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's really a good overview for developers that are facing rising costs and rising interest rates. I will note or emphasize in terms of your discussion about the effects of rising costs that for most states, the one thing about private equity bonds is if you do have rising costs subject to the 50% test challenges, you do get additional credits in most situations on those higher costs and the credits at 4% coming in at basically 40% of the cost you'll get credits. If it's a developed area, maybe it's 52%. And presumably you've gotten good adjuster provisions in with your investors, they'll pay for the additional credits with, within a certain bound. So it does bring some potential additional equity, but it does, it's not an equity to cover the additional costs. So it does expand the financing gap, as you noted. But I did want to talk about the 50% test, because that's one of the questions we get quite a bit from clients as they initially, if they initially have their bond allocation, they have to be concerned that if the costs are rising too much, that they will risk not passing the 50% test. And it's something they, they need to address prospectively and not find out on the cost certification that they failed it, because that would be even detrimental, obviously in a huge way. So Christina, if a developer comes to you and says they're concerned about passing the 50% test, or you've reminded them they should be concerned because construction costs are higher than expected due to inflation. What are some of the suggestions that you give that developer? Yeah, it's definitely a good thing that they're watching and they have a sense that they might fail the 50% test. 
So it's great that they're reaching out. Definitely, we encourage them to engage us. We're here to help, but definitely we can come in and do an updated 50% test on their current budget. So we know sort of some of the factors that have already affected the budget. They know some other budget line items are going to be increasing. So we can come in and do a 50% test on their updated budget. Typically we see a 50% test done at closing. So definitely a 50% test is required by the investors. They want to make sure that the project is on track, but you want to do another one. You want to do one sort of in the middle, especially in these times when costs are increasing, just to make sure you're not going to have the risk of something going wrong down the road. And then, and definitely we've been engaged to do these over the past year. Some of these sort of interim 50% test looks, just our developers and investors are really requiring these. And another issue, if you think you're going to fail the 50% test, another solution, I mean, might be to go back and ask for additional bonds. However, this comes with an additional cost and maybe some other risk as well. So going back to your issuer for additional bonds, additional bonds might not be available. So it's not always, but it's something that's worth exploring. Some other Things that we see, and sometimes it's a part of partnership agreements already discussed with the your investor, is that if there is a problem meeting the 50% test, developers might take a reduction in their developer fee. So the developer fee is part of your project's um, aggregate basis or project cost. So cutting that down might help the project get where it needs to be when we're talking about the 50% test. The other thing too, just reaching out to your, your state and seeing, and just reaching out to the team, like I said, just maybe if there's other ways or other solutions, being creative and flexible, that'd be a good way to go. And that was definitely, it was a big topic at the National Council State Housing Agency June conference, the issue of rising costs. And I was on a plenary session discussing that. And obviously we were encouraging state agencies to be open to developers coming back, needing a little bit more bond allocation to cover those higher costs. Because if you do get the bond allocation to cover the higher costs, additional bond allocation to ensure you meet the 50% test and incorporate those higher costs in, you can get the additional equity, at least on a portion of those higher costs. When you mentioned reducing the developer fee, that ends up helping you meet the 50% test, but you don't get the tax credits associated with those higher costs because it's just offset by lower developer fee. So it's something that is certainly a suboptimal solution, but a useful tool to ensure that you do end up passing the 50% test. And then there's also the potential to maybe consider using a land lease, as you and I've discussed in preparing for the podcast, but that's something that has a lot of structural issues. So it's not as feasible midstream. So I appreciate all those insights. And now maybe let's go from the developer that is in the midst of their development with their bond allocation as, and then dealing with these issues and talk about the other scenario that I laid out earlier, someone who's considering applying for tax and bonds to help finance their housing property. So maybe you can share with the listeners how the rising interest rates and high inflation affect someone in that scenario. Right. So, so yeah, so the, I think the big question here, which is always been part of the process of underwriting a 4% deal, but now is even 
with more importance is what's the right amount of bond that the project should be requesting and how much of it can the project support in this era that we have higher interest rates now. So a lot of which affects this scenario, somebody coming in or looking to do an application for bonds is a lot of what we've already talked about. Uh, so, but I think even more importantly now, developers need to work more closely with their general contractors and be more in tune to the challenges that are affecting the builders. Like we talked about the rising costs and what areas are the builders seeing higher increases in trying to lock down those general contracts and maybe working with general contractors that are finding solutions for more efficient building processes. So anywhere that you can have some cost savings, it's definitely going to pay off in a big way and help the project, like we said, pencil out. There's only limited amount of bonds the projects can use or will be allocated because bonds, and we've talked about before, bond value cap is so scarce. Um, one thing developers going in for an allocation should know some states also limit the amount of bonds that they're going to provide. So we said you have to meet the test at 50%, but certain states don't let you go over, say about 54% or 55%, which means that they don't want to give you more bonds or they're trying to spread out their bond volume cap to get more projects done. So definitely that's a big thing to keep in mind. And then with rising interest rates. Coming into closing a deal, you might consider locking interest rates now more so than using floating rates with caps. We've seen a lot of deals using floating rates and using a cap on those loans in the past, but you know, maybe now is it's a good time to admit they're always definitely making sure you're locking in your rates to avoid some of these variables in the project. And then also look for some other sources, maybe in your states. I'm currently working on a few deals in Florida that are taking advantage of funding from the state's construction, housing, inflation response program. So definitely a lot of these deals in Florida have been affected by these rising costs. Definitely we've seen, especially down in the Keys, where it's definitely even harder to get construction materials. Some projects have struggled from this. So the state has a, a sort of allocation or some sort of funding source that can be available to the project. So looking to your state, talking to your state agencies and seeing what's available out there. So thank you for that. And certainly working closely with state agency is really good advice. So we did a podcast a number of months ago, comparing 9% transactions with 4%. So I'd encourage our listeners to want a lot more detail in that topic to go back and listen to that podcast. But I did seem like this might be a good time for you to explain at a high level some of the differences between 9% and 4%, knowing that listeners can go back and listen to that podcast to get a more expansive understanding. Right. Yeah. So to our, maybe some of our newer members in the industry, just high level overview the big difference between a 4% and 9% is, is the amount of tax credit equity that deal will get. So like you mentioned before, on a 4% transaction, the credits allocated to the project is based on a 
4%. Thankfully, now we have the 4% floor. Uh, so 4% of your eligible basis, whereas in a 9% deal, you're going to have 9% of your eligible basis. So what does that mean for a 4% deal is that you're going to have that this funding gap problem that we've talked about. So you're going to need permanent debt and likely some other um, source of soft debt to cover that funding gap and to balance your project uses and sources, right? So you're going to need some more as compared to an, a 9% deal, you usually have a lot more equity is coming into your project. So the permanent debt that up 9% deal is a lot significantly less than on a 4% project. And then the other big difference which we talked about is this 50% test which is very important and is something that needs to be understood, tracked, and followed before you're thinking about doing a deal because certain, the way you might think the deals, projects, and sources, and uses are going, once you layer on and seeing if that project's going to meet the 50% test, it might not. So as a developer, you need to understand and you might need to make changes and find a different way to structure your deal to meet the 50% test. So that test needs to be looked at with your preliminary budget. And we said, you might definitely gonna have to look at it during construction again, especially if something changes. If there's a change in your construction timeline, significant changes in your construction cost or anything else affecting the project, you're gonna wanna take another look. And then of course that 50% test needs to be met once the project is placed in service, again, you're going to have to do a final 50% test, which your state agency is going to look at. And if you don't meet that test, as we discussed, it, it could be detrimental to your project. Um, so I think those are the, the main things that somebody should take away, understanding the differences between a 4% and a 9% project. Great. Thank you for that. Now, for much of the history of 4% tax credits and tax and bonds, and as you noted, it's nice to actually be a 4% credit now and not just be referred to it as 4%, but be floating and be below four. It was seen as an almost automatic. It was almost automatic that developers could receive bonds from the allocating agency or the state agency that actually funded the projects through issuing the bonds. But as I mentioned earlier, there has been increasing competition to the point that in many states, it's very competitive to receive bond funding. So I was wondering if you could share with our listeners advice you have for developers who are seeking bond financing to ensure they're in the best position to receive productivity bonds. Yeah. So in many states, it's very competitive now to get an allocation of tax exempt bonds. And so really understanding your state and how they allocate bonds. Uh, certain states, the allocation process is through their existing QAP. Some states have it done in a different competitor round. There also might be competitions for other sources. So if you use a certain state source, it's also competing to get the bond allocation as well. So there's layered on competition. So really understanding what 
the state's requirements are. And these can change too. So it could change year to year. So just because you did a deal in 2020 in a certain state with state's parameters or requirements and allocating the bonds can change. So so it's very hard. And some of the, the differences can be they're looking at unit mix, affordability set aside, and other things. So you just really want to stay in tune to those and being on top of what your states are requiring. And then just reaching out to, to those that have done deals in the state, like get, get with us, Novogratic, we work in all the states and we've done deals everywhere. So maybe I haven't done a deal in Iowa, but I know one of my partners has. And so just reaching out, if you're new in the state, reaching out to the resources available to, to help and try to get you know, the best competitive application in. And then also stay in tune, like I mentioned before, the Biden administration just issued its plan to address the housing supply issue. So things can change and they can change very quickly. So slowly, usually, but sometimes when changes come in, changes have been slow, but I think when something happened, you want to be in tune, what are the rules, how to actually implement them and be on top of it to get your deals in first, right? Yes, indeed. Definitely stay tuned. Yes, I'd encourage listeners to join our Love Building Task Force Working Group. That's one way to stay in tune with what's happening nationally. And then as you pointed out, you want to stay in tune with what's happening in your state and locally and at the state, both with the state allocating agency, as well as what's happening legislatively to see what additional funding could be coming down from the state. So there's obviously a lot more to say about productivity bonds and affordable housing. And fortunately, we have a great resource devoted to that topic. As I had said earlier, Christina was the lead editor for this year's update to the Novogratic Taxes of Bond Handbook, which was released last month in July. Christina, if you could share with our listeners some of the information that's included in the book, and to our listeners, I'll let you know that I will share a link to purchase the book in today's show notes. I know most of our listeners probably already have the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Handbook or the Gray Book, but if, if you're doing 4% deals or you're thinking of doing a 4% deal, I think everybody should have the Novogratic Tax Exempt Bond Book as well. The book is very comprehensive and includes chapters on just the general economics of taxes and bonds, the types of bonds and different types of structures we can use or are available to get taxes and bonds done, all the technical aspects, how to calculate the credits, like we talked about, about the 50% test and a whole bunch of other roles relating to doing a tax exempt bond project. Some of the, a lot of sections have been updated, particularly with new rules. We talked about the 4% floor. There's a section on using interest rate swaps and the risks related there and all sort of the current issues affecting the industry. So definitely it's something you want to check out and have on hand. Right. Thank you for that information. Christina, do stick around for our off mic segment of the podcast, where I get to ask you some fun questions that aren't directly related to community development tax incentives. I will provide Christina's email address in the show notes, along with a link to the tax and bond handbook and to a blog post that she wrote about the very subject we're addressing today. And also to our listeners, please be sure to tune in to next week's episode of Tax Pro Tuesday. My partner, John Shreddy from our Dover, Ohio office 
We'll be here to discuss Novogratz report on qualified opportunity fund investment. We've updated it through June 30th of 2022. This semi-annual report provides information on how much opportunities investment is being made, where it's being made, and how much is being invested in the various types of businesses. John and I will discuss some big picture topics from the report, as well as other items, such as the cities and states with the most planned investment. A quick preview, the amount invested in the qualified opportunity zones, or I should say the amount invested in qualified opportunity funds that we're tracking at Novogratic has surpassed another milestone number in the past few months. You can make sure you're notified of that episode and each week's episode by following or subscribing to the Tasker Tuesday podcast. Go to www.novaco.com slash podcast to subscribe to and stream the show on our website. You can also follow or subscribe to Task Road Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Now I'm pleased to reach our off-mic section where listeners can get some off-topic advice and words of wisdom from our podcast guests. So Christina, I always say, ever than Task Road Tuesday, what's your favorite podcast? Oh, I listen to a few podcasts, mainly relating to my children. So I have two boys and just trying to become a better parent. Nobody teaches you how to be a parent. <laughs> so I think there's a, a few of them, but one of the ones that I listen to is a podcast called Raising Problem Solvers by The Art of Problem Solving. So it's a group that tries to provide some sort of different topics or present different topics, different speakers on just finding ways to challenge your children and find ways to interact with them and give them other resources other than stuff that they're seeing in school. So I have a, a child that loves math, to probably son of an accountant, but, <laughs> and so this has helped me just keep him challenged. So, which is great. So that's a good one. It's Raising Problem Solvers by the Art of Problem Solving. Excellent. Thank you for that. I also like to ask guests, what's your best time management tip? I would say is just getting the hard stuff done early in the morning. So that quiet time before email start coming in or you start thinking about answering questions or things like that. Just going through our list of what's, what needs to get done and trying to knock it out early in the day. Thank you for that. My wife was similar to that. Many listeners know that my wife passed away in March of this year, but one of the things that she would always advise, she would always share is look at your to-do list and do the hardest thing first, <laughs> which I thought was a great advice, which is similar to what you're saying there in terms of get the hard stuff done early in the morning or first. So somewhat related to this previous question, how, what steps do you take to ensure that you're staying on point for projects that will take a longer period of time? Yeah, I think that us accountants and trying to get through busy season, I think we've all found some sort of strategies to, it's definitely, we could look at busy season as a long project, but one thing we do is just like focus on the end goal, right? So like, what's our end goal delivery dates? And then I try to work backwards to schedule milestones to making sure that we're on track. And so maybe it's an easier way to just, are we meeting our milestones? Are we 25% of the way there? Did we get these steps done? And it helps the team stay on track. Yeah, I, it reminds me of a saying that I've I heard years ago. I'm not sure who 
said it, maybe one of our listeners can email me with who said it. It was the saying, begin with the end in mind, um, which I always thought was really insightful. You don't start something till you know what it is you want. It's also uh, interesting in that if you spend too much time about thinking what the end in mind is, you may never begin. <laughs> right. That's the other thing. It's just starting. I think somebody, somebody gave me that advice once too, is like, just start. You get afraid or you just don't know where to start. So you just need to start. <laughs> that is so true. So it's sort of like, on the one hand, I want to begin with the end in mind. On the other hand, yeah. I also want to just begin because <laughs> you can't finish until you start. So, right. well, thank you for that. I appreciate you joining us from overseas, Christina, and hopefully your flight doesn't get delayed again and you're back at the U.S. soon. And to our listeners, I'm Mike Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.